Well, good morning. This is your chance to respond. Good morning. Welcome back. Happy New Year. My name is Kevin Bear. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace. I oversee our youth ministry here. And, uh, and whether you realize it or not, you are in the season of restarts. We have just started a new year, 2016. Can you believe we made it, right? You're in the midst of it. And even if you're a student, you're like, I'm just starting another semester. But it's a new year. It's a new semester. It's a new start. And my wife and I, we are in the midst of a crazy uh, restart of our own. We just had our fourth baby. We call her Quatra. Uh, fourth. Um, these are my kids. Uh, uh, my daughter, the oldest daughter, is named Peyton. She's five and a half. Micah is all the way to your left, and he is four. Jesse's all the way on the right, and his, he is two and a half. And Juliet is bringing in the rear, um, our beautiful little baby girl, Juliet. Um, so she was born in November 29th, and so she's uh, not sleeping, you know? So, so that's what we're in the midst of. We're starting again with baby, right? So we're shaking, and we're swaddling, and we're, you know, doing all the little things you do with a baby. Not shaking, but, you know, shaking, jiggling the child. And we're starting again, and this year, this 2016, is a time of restarts, right? It's time to start over. So some of you, you already planned out your restarts. You're going to restart that diet, right? You're going to restart that exercise program. You're going to recommit to some objectives at work. You're going to recommit to maybe some, filling some obligations with your family or with friends. This is a season of restarts, and Zach asked you to share your resolution. Some of you are like, no, not me, but... But you're already kind of thinking, what, what do I want this year to look like? And for me, th- this season is a time of year where I try to do that. So uh, over Christmas break, I spent time with my in-laws, uh, my wife's family, and my, my family as well. And, uh, but my, my wife's family have, has a beautiful pool. And so I sat there in about the 82, 85 degree weather that we had this Christmas here in uh, Texas, um, sunbathing, and just reflecting on, uh, on the year. It was a rough, rough, I should have pictures of it. It was beautiful. And so as I'm sitting there, I'm going, like, okay, so w- what do I want to do this next year? What are, what are my goals from this past year? What do I want to accomplish this next year? And I'm a reader and a podcaster, and so I started looking at different resources to show me how to achieve goals for this next year. And as I'm reading and listening to these podcasts, they're all kind of centering on the same basic four ideas to write them down, write down your goals, review them daily, mark your progress, and make course corrections along the way. And every person's basically saying the same thing, whether it's John Acuff or Forbes magazine or Twitter or Michael Hyatt. um, They're all centering on this basic idea of write down your goals, evaluate, and complete them. But I was asking myself a more fundamental question. What am I chasing? What am I living for? And, And what is the big goal that all these little goals will help me to get to. Like, wh- where am I going with my life? And I was asking a bigger question that these guys weren't giving me the answer to. And so I, for my personal life, I just had to go back to the very beginning, the fundamentals. Vince Lombardi was one of the f- most famous coaches in, in NFL football history. Fan, got a Packer fan in the mix, Okay. And one of the things that he did at the beginning of of every season was follow kind of the same pattern. And in 1961, the Green Bay Packers had lost the NFL championship the previous year to the Philadelphia Eagles. And they're sitting there in the locker room, and Vince Lombardi walks in with a football. These guys have been thinking about the defeat all year. 
And he walks in with the football and says, Gentlemen, this is a football. As reported, one of the receivers goes, Slow down, coach. He goes, <laughs> he goes, he goes no, 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 this is a football, gentlemen. We're trying to get this ball to the other end in the end zone, and we're trying to stop the other team from getting their ball into our end zone. Are we clear on what we're trying to do? And all the guys are like, yes, we, we get it. We know the game. But I think what's so pertinent, what he needed to do in that moment was to remove the past and reset the entire team. And I think oftentimes we need the same thing in our life. We need a moment to reset, restart, to start over with what it is we're actually trying to do and where it is we're actually going. And so what I want to do this morning is I just want to talk about some things that you've already heard, some things you already know. But I hope by refreshing us in the fundamentals, we might start this new year in the right way. And the three things I want to give you from Genesis chapter 12 are very simple. To start listening to start following, and to restart. So if you have a Bible, flip to Genesis chapter 12. I'm going to read a little bit for us, and then we will continue. We'll dive back in. Genesis chapter 12, God is speaking to Abraham. It says this in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless those who bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to the land of Canaan. This is the, the start of probably one of the most famous men in history. In fact, the three major world religions of the Muslims, the Jews, and the Christians all know this guy, Abraham. And Abraham, Abraham had many sons, right? Many sons had Father Abraham, and I'm one of them. So are you. So let's just, you know, you know the song, right? So you know this guy. He's one of the most famous men in history. Three major world religions trace their roots to this person, and this is his calling. This is his start with God. And the first thing we need to do in starting new is to start listening. And God speaks to this man audibly and calls him to get up and go. And in this section, really, there's, there's three objections that I think many of us have when we, when we talk about listening to God, listening to what he's calling us to do. And the first one is this. Many of us would say, I can't hear God. I mean, you would say to me this, Kevin, if I'm just sitting in my house, maybe watching TV, drinking some coffee, hanging out, and I heard a voice, Joe, Joe, get up. Follow me. I'd, I'd be like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go. But I haven't heard God speak like that. God hasn't called me out like that. And I'll grant you that. In fact, Abraham was a very specific person called to a very specific mission. And God may not speak to you audibly. 
But that doesn't mean that God's not still speaking. In fact, in Psalm chapter, Psalm 19, it says this, that God speaks through creation. He says, the heavens are declaring the glory of God. And in Romans 1, Paul says the same thing. He says, God has displayed who he is in the things that he has created. And some of the most brilliant minds, brilliant scientists, one of them, Francis Collins, in studying the human genome, human DNA, he says, in studying this, I see that there is a designer behind the design. There is a creator behind the creation. You can look at creation and see the glory of God, but not only has God spoken through his world, he's secondly spoken through his word. In Hebrews chapter one, it says this, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God is like, all you need to do is to look at the person of Jesus. The gospel of John calls Jesus literally the word of God, the word of God incarnate. And he has spoken, but not only through his son, also through scripture. Hebrews 4.12 says this, that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It can penetrate and divide soul and spirit, joints and marrow. If you want to know what God is saying, all you have to do is spend time in this book. You see, God is still speaking. The problem is for some of us, we, we don't want to listen. One philosopher named Thomas Nagel, he's an American philosopher, and he currently is the professor of philosophy at uh, New York University. And he's taught there since 1980, and he says this. In speaking of the fear of religion, I don't mean to refer to the entirely reasonable hostility towards certain established religions and religious institutions in virtue of their objectionable moral doctrines, social policies, and political influence. Nor am I referring to the association of many religious beliefs with superstition and the acceptance of evidence of empirical falsehoods. I'm talking about something much deeper. Now listen. Namely the fear of religion itself. I speak from experience. Being strongly subject to this fear myself. I want atheism to be true. And it made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent, well-informed people I know are religious believers. See, for some of us, we don't want to hear what God is saying. But secondly, there's some of us that think it's too late. It's too late for me. And really, there's two, two things that you would say that by meaning it's too late. is I'm too old or I'm too far gone. I'm too old or I'm too far gone. But what's so interesting is, is, is where Abraham was when he was called. You may not know this, but he was in Ur of the Chaldeans. He was in a region of the world uh, known as the Babylonian region, and he was there worshiping false gods. In fact, Joshua says it this way. In Joshua 24, it says this, Joshua said to the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, from ancient times, your fathers lived beyond the river, namely Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor. And listen to this, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through the land of Canaan and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. You see, for many of us, we would say, I'm too far gone to start over. I can't start over. It's too late for me. But I would tell you this. If you were to do a little bit of history as to what the region of of, of Babylon was like during that time and what worship looked like, you would actually be offended. Some of the religion was, was sexually perverse and extremely violent. See, Abraham wasn't a good guy who God called to do good things. 
Abraham was a bad guy doing bad things that God called toward his purposes. So I think this is one of the, most, the biggest misconceptions that lots of people have about religion. Religious things are for good people. Good people go to good churches and do nice things, but that's actually the exact opposite of what God does. God calls anyone and everyone from the place that they are, no matter what they're doing, he says, look, I want you to come in and join me on the purposes I'm bringing. You're not too far gone. No one is. And you're not too old. Read Genesis 12, verse 4. How old is Abraham at this point? 75. Abram is not a spring chicken at this point, right? He's lived life, right? He's had a career. He's done things. And at that moment, at 75, God's saying, hey, get up, buddy. We're going to go do new things. Start listening to what I'm calling you to do. The third excuse that we have is probably this. It's too hard. I mean, it wasn't easier for Abraham back then. Weren't they kind of nomadic and they just kind of wandered around? Wasn't it easier back then for him to jump up and follow God? Actually, No. See, the text jumps in and tells him to leave three things. Leave your country, leave your kindred, and leave your father's house. Leave your country, leave what's familiar to you. Leave your place where you know and dwell and all your buddies are. You leave, you leave your country, and you leave your kindred. You leave, you leave your family. See, at this time in this culture, what they would do is they would have their family together. It was very much a clan mentality that you would look after your uncle and your brothers and, and all that sort of stuff. You, you, everyone would live together because that's where safety was. So leave the, the place you're familiar. Leave the safety of your kindred. And then thirdly, leave your father's house. Leave the people you know and love. I'm calling you to listen to me and go where I'm leading You've got to get up and leave. And it's hard. Listening to God and following where he's leading is always, always hard. It is. But what you may be missing is what what God says to Abraham. There's five I wills in this section. Two verses, five I wills. He says, go to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great name. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will protect you. And everything, God's saying, look, I will be with you. I'm not sending you off on your own. I'm telling you to leave where you are and come to where I'm going. Start listening to me. Come to where I'm leading you. See, listening to God is primarily about trusting in what God is saying and what he will do. So start listening. But secondly, start following. Start following. And the challenge in in this part is this, is that God, once we start following God, it's not easy. And what God does next is he leads him into two major challenges. There's a cultural crisis, a cultural challenge, but there's also secondly a trust challenge. In Genesis chapter 12, verse four, Abraham finally gets up and starts moving. In verse four, it says this. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Now, it seems that Abraham just left immediately from where he was. But actually, if you read in Acts chapter 7, Abraham didn't go all the way. I pulled up a map to show that Abraham actually didn't follow through when he was first called. This is a map of the region. And down here is Ur of the the Chaldeans. This is Ur where he grew up, the the area of Babylon. And where Abraham went first, Stephen tells us in, in Acts, 
is that he first went to Haran in the first call. And he stayed there in Haran. Why? Why would he stick it out there? Well, in Haran was a center of moon worship. It was actually the same type of worship that they had down in Ur. It was familiar. It was what they knew. And he brought his dad with him. He brought his nephew with him. And they all first went to Haran and they settled there. And it wasn't until Abram's father died several years later that they finally made the next move. When God spoke again and said, no, 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 you you didn't go all the way. Come on. You only went halfway. See, the place where he's trying to get us all the way down south, kind of where this purple arrow is down here, that's where God's leading him. And he went halfway. Why did he go so far north? Well, in between there is a barren desert. It's the, uh, it's the, the great desert is the, uh, I forget the name of it. It's, anyway, it's a ridiculous desert. You can't go through it. So you follow the water mount north to Haran, right? And so he's sitting there in comfortable culture. That's where he's living. And right there, it's when he's sitting there going, okay, God's going, no, 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 that, that's not far enough. I need you to keep going. And in verse four, he finally gets up and starts traveling. And as he starts traveling, verse five It says, And Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions, and all that they had gathered, and all the people that he had acquired in Haran, and they set out to the land of Canaan. Now when they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land of a place at Shechem to the oak of Moriah. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. That's a key phrase. The Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there he moved to the hill country to the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham journeyed on, still going to the Negev. See, God calls him from around and says, You've got to keep moving, buddy. And he starts heading down south. And you would think, some of us would think, following God means that he would lead him to greener pastures. He would lead him to an easier place. You're going to make him a great nation. Well, certainly you're going to give him some land to live on. But it says there's Canaanites in the land. There was already a people there. And if you're familiar at all with the nation of Israel, these are the, the enemies of Israel for the, their entire time in this land. They're always going to be a problem with the Canaanites as long as they're there. What God does is sticks him in the midst of a culture with competing values. That's what he does. You see, when you start following God, it doesn't mean smooth paths. It means I'm going to stick you in a culture. I want you to follow through all the way, and I want you to follow through even in the midst of the culture I put you. Over this holiday season, we were spending time uh, with, with my family, and, and my sister came in town. She lives in California, and uh, she is an engineer there, works in an engineering firm, and she was telling us about a party that a couple of her managers had thrown. Uh, two, basically, two managers had gone in together financially to put on this party for kind of the staff and different people, and uh, one of them was a Jewish guy, and one of them was a Christian guy. And they got together, and the, Christian, the Jewish guy just paid some money, and the Christian guy basically took the money and said, okay, I'm going to use that, some of my money, and throw this party. And he sent out the invitations, and it came to find out that he was celebrating a Christmas party. The Jewish guy was like, oh, and they're going to serve ham at the Christmas party, right? Come join the honey bake ham, have a Christmas party, it's going to be great. And, and my sister was talking to the, the Jewish manager, and he was just like, man, I don't even know if I want to go. I feel awkward. And he wasn't belligerent or mean, he was just like... This isn't what I was expecting, a holiday party. You know, that's kind of what I was expecting. And in our country, in our culture, you're seeing this rise in 
in conflict of beliefs, this rise in conflict of ideals, this rise in conflict of religions. And it's not just in crazy places like Northern Cal, right? I was talking to a friend of mine who lived over in Castlegate. Castlegate, right? There. And as he was talking to me, he's like, tell me about all the religious backgrounds and beliefs of, of the people around him. There's some Muslims, there's some people from, from China, just all these different people that kind of live in that area. And, I, and he goes, man, I, it is hard in that moment to live out my faith. What, what do I even do there? I said, well, here's, here's the truth. God calls you in the midst of culture to represent him in the place he put you. He calls you to go to a place. For some of you, he's going to call you to go all the way across the world. He might be. For some of you, he might just be calling you to go next door and represent God in the place he's put you. And as he's there, you see what Abraham does? It says he, builds a, he goes to the tree of, of, of Moriah. The trees had spiritual significance to the culture in that day. They had all sorts of worship that would occur there. All sorts of altars were built there. And what Abraham does in that place is he builds an altar to God. He says, I'm going to be unapologetically a follower of God in this place. And then it says he journeyed further south to where God was leading him. And there he says, he began to call on the name of the Lord. See, God has put you in culture. To follow him, that means to represent him in the place that he puts you. And the, the, real, the truth is this. It's going to be more and more complicated as we continue going along in America. It's going to be complicated. But we get some wisdom from Peter. He says this in 1 Peter. But in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Have you set apart as Christ as Lord in your heart? Then as you live in the culture, you do it with gentleness and respect. You're unapologetically Christian in the place he puts you. So what does that mean? Well, maybe you throw a Christmas party, but don't take someone else's money. You pay for it yourself, right? You be unapologetically, openly Christian, and you know what? You invite those people in. Go to your neighbors. You invite them in. You be unapologetically a follower of Christ where you are, but you do this with gentleness. You do it with respect. And Abraham starts his following really well. He starts great. He hears God. He stops halfway. No, no, get up and go. And he, he goes a little bit further, and, it, and, it, and he does better. He's doing better in this next place, but then the next challenge hits. So not only does he call you to live rightly in culture, God at the same time will test your faith in the place he puts you. In verse 10 of chapter 12, we get the, the big challenge. It says, now there was a famine in the land. And so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Every time you see the word Egypt in, in the Bible, typically it means that God's people have gone from where they're supposed to be to the ease of the world. And there's a famine in the land. And this culture in this time, if it didn't rain, you didn't eat, right? And so it's a real problem. If all of a sudden your cupboards are empty, your pantry's gone, the Christmas turkey and fixings are all disappeared somehow, like you had one kid that just ate it all, and you found your bank accounts depleted, you would be afraid. And in that moment, that's the crisis that he's in. He's going, what am I going to do? Let's just go down to Egypt. Let's figure out something else there. 
And he does something that's, that's, that I personally just think is, is hilarious. The way that he treats his wife in this moment is absolutely absurd. And so I thought about it for a moment. I said, what, what are the dumb things that I have said to my wife over the years? What are the dumb things that I've said to my spouse? Because I just want to get a comparison, right? So here's some of the statements that my wife and I have said to one another. It's your turn to change the diaper. Like it's, like we're paying each other back, right? Or this is horrible. Here, you taste, right? Or can you see why the kids are screaming? I'm trying to sleep. You know, you pulled that one off. Or take out the trash. It's disgusting. There's no way I'm touching it, right? So maybe you've said like some of those, my wife said, said that one to me, that exact verbatim. Say, oh, that's so gross. I'm not touching it. You do. You know, so we've all said like insensitive, self-serving things to, to our spouses or our significant others. And then I read what Abraham did. Read me verse 11. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah, his wife, now I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. You're hot, baby. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me. But they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. Okay, what? To bring this up to, to, to modern day, what's happening? I mean, Abraham starts off the statement really nicely. He goes, he goes baby, you are beautiful. She's like, oh, Abe. He's like, no, no, no seriously, you're, you're hot. Like, too hot. Like I should have married the neighbor girl down the street who was not quite as hot with a good personality. You know, like I should have married that girl and not you. Like people would kill for a girl who looks this good. Like literally, they're going to kill me when they see you. And so here's my plan, babe. Here's my plan. Just just hear me out. Just hear me out. We're going to get down there. They're going to say, you know, she's amazing. And I just want you to say, you're my sister. And when Pharaoh takes you into his harem, right, and kind of is his, one of his wives, like, you just kind of go with it, and we'll see what happens. I mean, can you imagine what Sarah's thinking in this moment? Like, okay, okay, Abe, wait. You brought our family all the way from Ur, all the way down to this place, because you were following God, right? Because you were listening to God. You were strong, right? You were, you were powerful. You were, you were like this man on a mission. It was awesome. And you're selling out. Now, where's my, where's my knight in shining armor? Oh, yeah, he's there in the fetal position on the corner. Like, that's where my knight is now. And then he goes, babe, just, let's just see what happens. And they go down. Verse 14. Now, when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the prince of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house, and for her sake, he was dealt well. they dealt well with Abraham because they didn't want to kill the guy that was the brother of the bride. He didn't want to do that. It was been lame. And he had sheep and oxen and male donkeys and male servants and female servants and female donkeys and camels. Abraham just sold out his wife and the call of God for some camels. I was following God. I was doing the right thing. And all of a sudden, the temperature turned up. I wasn't sure if I could trust God in this moment. You know what, babe? Panic. You sell yourself. Maybe I'll get some camels. Let's go down there. And he's sitting there and he's looking pretty well off, right? He's wealthy now. He's brought into the Pharaoh's house. They're taking care of him. Here's some camels. Here's some maidservants. And can you imagine what Abraham's thinking this moment? I got everything I'd ever wanted. 
power, prestige, possessions. All it took me was selling out the plan of God and my wife. Have you ever been in a moment where you got everything you ever wanted, but it cost you more than you ever thought? Have you ever gotten the one thing you were chasing, but you missed the one thing that mattered most? I remember when I was in college, I was, I was training to run track. I was training with the track team, and, and it was coming up to the NCAA championships, and you had to run a qualifying time to run at the championships. And I was selling out everything for track. It was my eat, live, breathe, everything on this pinnacle. If I could just stand on that stage and get that award, go to those championships, that's, that's what I'm giving everything for. And they flew us out to... Um, Palo Alto, California, and we're there at Stanford University. I get on the line, I run the race. As I cross the line, I look up and I see the time in the race I was running, 8.45 in the steeplechase. I qualified for the NCAA championships. I'm over there on a grate that's on the ground, like throwing up and then smiling. I made it, you know, And, and just excited. I made it. It was the biggest moment. It was the pinnacle of everything I'd been chasing. And I, I get there to the race. It was in Louisiana. It was like 98 degrees in the shade in Louisiana, in the middle of summer. And I'm there and I'm getting ready to run my race, preparing. And I realize I feel miserable. And I run my race. I don't make the finals. And that summer I went to Colorado. I spent some time with my, time with my cousins. I'm hanging out with my, uh, my cousin Brock. And he tells me to go out on this, where to go on this run. And he kind of sends me out there and I start the run. And he says, now here, just listen to me. Um, just stay on the main road. Don't go off to the right. Don't go off to the left because you're just going to hit a dead end and need to come right back to, to the place where you're at. So just stay on the main road. And so I start running and I start praying. I said, God, I got everything I wanted. Why do I feel so empty? And he brought into my mind a, a verse from Joshua. We told Joshua, hey, just, just follow me. Stay on the path. Don't go to the right. Don't go to the left. Just stay on the path that I'm calling you to. See, you can get everything but miss the one thing that matters most. And Abraham in this moment, I guarantee you, was sitting there going, what have I done? And it's at that moment that God intervenes. Pick it up in verse 16, verse 17. Verse 17 says, But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is it that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Abram's getting called out by the pagan king for not living like a Christian. He <laughs> says, Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here, here's your wife. Take her. You get out of here. And Pharaoh gave him men, his men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. He says, get out of here, Abram. This isn't where you need to be. You see, God moved in and pulled him out. And the, one of the greatest mistakes that Abraham made in his life, he's going to make more, but one of the major mistakes at the very beginning he had, God had the grace to pull him out. See, the truth is this. Every start needs a restart. Every start you have with God will come up with complications. Every start you have with God, you'll make mistakes. And every start you have 
will require a restart along the way. Because we'll all make mistakes. We'll all blow it. And you know what, what's true about God? And you've got to know this. God doesn't call perfect people to fulfill his plan. He calls normal, everyday people to follow him and walk with him. And if you miss Abram's mistakes, you miss the gritty realism of the Bible. These aren't perfect people. These are people that have made a mess of it that God still pulls out and uses for his purposes. One of my favorite characters in the New Testament, people in the New Testament, is Peter. And Peter was a ready, fire, aim kind of guy, right? A lot of passion, not a lot of direction. And one of the early moments of Peter's life is he's interacting with Jesus. Jesus asks him, who do the people say that I am? Some say you're John the Baptist, one of the prophets. And then Peter goes, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. He goes, did you hear that, people? That was awesome. And, and, and Jesus goes, Simon, Barjona, blessed are you. Because flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but God himself revealed this to you. He said, Peter, that was amazing. He's like, gentlemen, did you hear that? It was awesome. And then later on, as he's walking with Jesus, Jesus tells him, hey, y'all are going to abandon me. Every one of you is going to abandon, abandon me when I go to the cross. And Peter goes, Jesus, not on my rock. Peter, rock, not on my watch. You're going to be fine. Jesus says, no, no, you're going to deny me too. And when they're in the Garden of Gethsemane, Men come to grab Jesus. And Peter, once again the fighter, grabs his sword and like goes for, for the, the kill, right? And gets a lobe, you know, like gets the guy's lobe off, you know. Ready, fire, aim. Didn't really think it through. And, and, and Jesus goes like, what, what are you doing? No, 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 I, I told you this is going to happen. And they take Jesus away. And then Peter goes to get closer. And he, he says that he walks over and he gets around some people that are in front of a charcoal fire. And he gets there and he's kind of warming his hands and he can see Jesus just off in the distance as he's getting beaten. And this little girl says, hey, aren't you one of his disciples? And Peter's like, no, no, you don't know what you're talking about. Shh, shut up, girl. And one of the soldiers is standing there and he goes, no, no, you, listen to your accent. You're one of his men. And then someone else chimes in, no, no, you're, you're one of him. And it says that Peter started cussing to prove that he wasn't part of the team. He's like dropping F-bombs to go, no, 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 it's not, not on me. I'm not part of this team. I'm, I'm with someone else. And, and it says at that moment, after he's denied him three times, he looks over and he catches the eye of Jesus. And then he runs. And three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. And it says that Jesus appeared to Peter and to all the apostles. And he's, he says to him, hey, this is who I am. He appeared to Thomas. Touch my hand, man. I, I'm here. I, I'm real, still calling you to a great mission. He says, go wait for me in Galilee. And they go up to Galilee. And as they're sitting there, Peter says something. He says, I'm going fishing. And this isn't Peter's way of like passing time. He's like, hey, guys, you want to go fish? I don't know. You know like he's saying, I've done this thing. I'm going to go back to what I know. I'm going to be a fisherman. And as they're out, they're catching nothing all night. And all of a sudden they hear a voice like from the side. Little boys, little boys, which is completely derogatory, right? If you're a man and a bunch of someone from the side goes, little boys, you're like, who is this chump, right? He says, you haven't caught anything, have you? No. Well, throw the net on the other side. They throw the net on the other side of the boat. He brings in a great quantity of fish and John is standing right next to Peter and goes, Peter, it's Jesus. 
This is your miracle. This is when Jesus called you. He's recreating the moment he called you. And it says that Peter stripped his clothes and jumped into the water and started swimming. And John goes, but the rest of us rode because we weren't that far from land. (laughs) And Peter swims out and he gets there right in front of Jesus. And Jesus already has a charcoal fire sitting right there, fish filleted open. And the rest of them all get there. And he looks at Peter in the eye and says, Peter, Peter, do you love me? Peter goes, yeah, Jesus, you you know all things. You you know I I, I love you. And he says, feed my sheep. He looks at him again and says, Peter, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, Jesus, (laughs) we've kind of just been over this. Yes, I love you. He says, tend my lambs. And the third time he goes, Peter, hey, just, just so we're clear, do you love me? And Peter gets frustrated at this moment. Like when your kids ask you 30 questions. Hey, when are we going to be there? When are we be there? You're like, shut your mouth. Yes, we're traveling to Gigi's house. We're going to be fine, right? He says, Peter, do you love me? Jesus, you know all things. You know I love you. Then feed my sheep. And he says, Peter, look, hey, when you were younger, you used to get up and go wherever you wanted to go. But when you get older... Someone's going to take you by the hand and lead you where you don't want to go. The Bible says he said this to tell, warn Peter of the type of death he would have. He says, Peter, I'm calling you to follow me. And sometimes I will bless your life in prosperity, but sometimes you're going to go where you don't want to go. But I want you to listen to one thing. I want you to follow me. And at that moment, Peter looks over to John sitting next to him and goes, what about that guy? What's going to happen to him? Jesus says, don't forget about him. You follow me. Let's start again with you following me. Where are you this morning? Have you been listening to God? Are you following God with your life? Do you feel like you're too far gone? Hey, I'm just going to continue my normal life, my normal thing for this next year because that's kind of what's comfortable, that's what's normal. Or is God simply saying to you, hey, hey, look, are you going to follow me this next year? The men are going to prepare for us um, communion. And as they do that, I'll just want to give a couple applications in closing. The first one is this. Are you, are you ready to start over this year? Are you personally ready to start over in your walk with God? Then I'd follow that up by, are, are you listening to God? Are you carving out personal time where you're getting in the word of God, you're getting around the community of God to look at the Bible? I'll tell you this, at Grace, we do everything we can to provide some environments for you to do that. Through our home churches, through our uh, Wednesday night studies, through different environments, we give you opportunity to be around fellow believers. But are you as well personally going to get in the word of God? And are you following God? Are you really following hard after him where he is going? And lastly, number four, do you know that every start requires a restart? We're all going to blow it along the path. And all that's needed, all that God's asking you to is to turn back and say, do you love me? Then let's go. Let me pray for us as the men bring communion. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. And Lord, as we reflect on 
the start of this new year, I pray that we would reflect on how this last year has gone. And Lord, I know that some of us really need to start listening to you or maybe really following you for the first time. Or maybe even some of us have said, no, I've, I've tried to follow God, or I've, but I've really been off course this past year. And this year should, can be a great year of a restart. Lord, I pray that you would open up our hearts to where we might need to start again this next year. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he's sitting around there with his boys, the 12. And he picks up a loaf of bread. And he breaks the bread. He looks and says, this is my body that has been broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. And then he took the cup. He said, this is my blood that has been shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In closing, I just want to give us one last story and then pray us out. I don't know what resolution or what start you're thinking about, but I pray that you would write it down and really hold to it in this time. And some of you, I think, fear starting over because you feel like building something new requires more work than you're ready to give. Or maybe you've made so many mistakes along the way this past year that you can't even think that you can create something new this next year or go a different direction. But my wife and I have gotten hooked on HGTV over this break. In particular, a show called Fixer Upper. Fans, Fixer Upper, anyone? Oh, yeah, I knew it. And the two main characters, two main people in it are uh, a man named uh, Chad Gaines and Joanna Gaines. And they're hilarious to watch, fun family. The only negative about the show is uh, they kind of quote or celebrate Baylor Bears like intermittently throughout the show. And you're like, ah, oh, you have to do that. And other than that, you're amazing. Um, and throughout the show, it's, it's an amazing story of they take these houses that no one loves and makes them into something beautiful. I remember one show I was watching in particular, this house they got for $10,000 because basically it was worthless. They thought they were going to bulldoze the whole thing. And Chad and Joanna get in there and they start going to work. They're taking out walls, they're taking out siding, they're bringing in new stuff. And, and you're, you're looking at it going like, this is so gross, rats would not want to be in that home, right? And remember as they're walking around, they're going like, we don't want to be in this home. And you watch the transformation at the end of it. You see this beautiful home that some friends of theirs were so excited to move into. And my wife and I are talking, we're going like, hey, would, would we want to do that? Like, could we be fixer-uppers? Could we go get some, you know, dilapidated old house somewhere in the middle of nowhere and rebuild it. And we looked at ourselves and went, no, that's well beyond our skill set, right? That's nothing that we could pull off by ourselves. And then we said, but if Chad and Joanna wanted to come down and hang out, because they would just be fun to hang out with, and they themselves would put their hand to the wheel on this, we would trust them to pull us through. We would trust their hands on this one. You know, the same is true with God. You can't pull you through. Peter couldn't. Abraham couldn't. Neither can you. But if you entrust yourself 
to the hand of God, he will lead you in the place not only he most wants you to be, but ultimately where you most want to be in the center of his plan as he rebuilds your life. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this season. And I thank you that we can start anew with you. I thank you so much for the, the communion that we have to celebrate the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. Really, a restart that we might have a new birth with you. And I lift up all of us to you that we might reflect and God embrace the path you've laid out for us to walk this next year. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Y'all have a great 